You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church in Midlothian, Texas. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, visit Stonegate-Church.com. Keep your Bible open there to Matthew uh, chapter 25. That is where we're going to be today. And just a couple of words to... uh uh, to start us. One is if you are new with us today, thank you so much for being here. We have a card like this. It should be under your seat. And if you'll just make sure you grab that card at some point during the service and fill out that black section of it. Um, at the end of the service, you can pass or uh, put that in the little offering basket as it's passed around. And if you'll do that and it's filled out in that little uh, basket, that would help us really serve you. So if you would do that for us, uh, we would greatly, uh, greatly appreciate that. So if you'll make sure you grab that, fill that out, that would be wonderful. Secondly, um, under your seat, you should have a book like this. So if you just go ahead and grab that. Uh, that book and just go ahead and get it and hold it up. If you don't have one under your seat, Jeff and Evan and a couple of guys are going to be passing those out. So just go ahead and raise your hand if you don't have one under your seat and they will get that to you. We need to make sure you get one. So if you don't have one, make sure you, you grab one. Just keep your hand up there and they'll get it over to you. So, and uh, as you're uh, grabbing that book, let me just point out a couple of things in it. If you'll go to the table of contents uh, right there at the beginning, page uh, number five, you'll see some of the various components of the book. So there's a note in there kind of explaining kind of some of where we are and where we have been. Uh, There's the three components of all in that you just heard there kind of teased out in a little more detail. We'd love for you to read through that. There's stories that I think would really encourage you of people in our church family taking risk for Jesus' sake. And so there's some stories in there that um, we'd love for you to read through. Uh, so there's a lot of content in there. The um, One Fund Initiative, making sure you're up to date on that, on how we have organized the last two years of the Generosity Initiative, FAQs, all that's in there for you. But I want you to go ahead and, and go over to page 41 really briefly. And, uh, and you'll see that we also have a, a series guide section. The, the last kind of part of the book is that. And it is for you to be able to take sermon notes. So page 41 would be for this sermon. Um, If you go a couple of pages over to uh, page 45, you'll see that's for next Sunday. So we want this book to be your best friend. You can go ahead and write your name on that book. We would love that. Stick that in your Bible. We're praying for the next five weeks. You would just keep this in your Bible, ready to go um, for the rest of this sermon series. So it not only gives you what you're going to need for uh, our time together on Sunday mornings, it will also give you what you need for our time together in home groups. So you can see that on page 42 is all the things you're going to need for the first home group of risk. So that would be uh, this week. So if you're meeting today, um, this gives you the stuff you'd need to get ready for uh, by today. Or if your home group meets sometime this week, it gives you everything you're going to need to come ready and prepared for your home group. So it's got all of that information. I just want to encourage you to make sure you read through that information and then uh, put your name on that book, stick it in your Bible and keep that as your companion for the next five weeks as we uh, kind of roll through this material together and think it through and try, uh, you know, and really seek to apply it to our life. So we would love for you to keep that with you. Um, and then also on, kind of stuff into that book, you're going to see a little risk commitment card. Um, it looks like this. And I want to clarify what it's there for. On March the 5th, which would be the fifth uh, Sunday in this set of sermons, we are going to be having a commitment Sunday. Now, if you were here last year, you could think of it more in terms of a recommitment Sunday for the last year of All In. So that will be a day where as a church family, we'll get to think about this. And, uh, and really, I think it kind of plays out in three different ways. If you weren't here last uh, March while, you know, when we had our original commitment day, it gives you an opportunity to join us. And if, you, if this is kind of the, the church home that you're jumping into and you're a part of our church family um, since, you know, last March, we are so appreciative of that. And we would love for you to participate in the journey that the Lord has us on. So uh, it's going to give you a chance to jump in on that day. Uh, for others who made a commitment last March, and it's just been a hard year. 
I mean, in so many different ways, you're just feeling how sacrificial your commitment uh, that you made last March has been. It's a chance for us to encourage you. We really do hope the next few weeks, the Lord would meet you in some really good ways to help you finish strong in that. And it will also give us a chance to challenge some people. For some that made a commitment last March, you're to the point of looking at your commitment and the Lord is going to be looking at you calling for some new and deeper and bigger steps of faith new risk in your life. And so it's gonna give us a chance to think through that. Maybe the Lord would be having us move into a deeper risk uh, come uh, March the 5th. So it's gonna give us a chance to kind of think through some of those things. So we wanted to get this card to you so that you could begin thinking about those things uh, now. Praying, fasting, seeking clarity as to what it is the Lord would have for you uh, come March the 5th. And then lastly, let me just say this. Uh, I wanna just say this as clearly as I can. From day one of All In, we have tried to just state this very clearly. Our primary goal has never been about a number raised. Our primary goal has always been about the Lord cultivating faith in us. And when I think about the last year, one of the things I'm most proud of is just like the stories you saw in that video, the Lord is doing that in us. He really is cultivating faith in this church family, which I'm just so, so deeply grateful for. Okay, with that said, this is day one of risk and uh, we're in Matthew chapter 25. And uh, let me just think context here. So let me just kind of set the context of the parable that we're in. Matthew 25 begins by Jesus saying, the kingdom of heaven is like this. So the point of Matthew 25 is Jesus showing us what life with God looks like, what, what it means for God to relate to us, us to relate to God. He's showing us what life with God looks like. Then the, the chapter opens with the parable of the 10 virgins. If you can read that in you know, basically verse one of verse 13 of Matthew 25. The, the primary point of that parable is Jesus is looking at us and saying, here's an important part of living with me in my kingdom. You need to stay ready and awake for my coming. I'm gonna come back one day and you need to be ready and awake. Don't let that surprise you. Be awake and ready for that moment. Then you get to our parable, which is the, the parable of the talents. And Jesus develops that point one step further. If the first parable is meant to, sh to show us, you need to stay awake. This parable, the one we're looking at today, the parable of the talents, is Jesus showing us what it looks like to stay awake. How do we stay faithful to Jesus while we're waiting for him? What does it look like for us to be awake and ready for his coming? What does that look like? The, that, that's what this parable is seeking to answer. And um, when I think about this parable, I oftentimes think of it like this. If you have a deep burden in your soul to not want to waste your life, to want your life to really count, if that's you, this parable is written for you. If you want your life to matter to Jesus, that this parable is written just for you, for the soul that resonates with, man, I don't want my life to be wasted. I want it to count for Jesus' sake. He's clarifying what it looks like to make it count for Jesus' sake. So when you think about this parable, verse 14 shows us that there's three kind of primary players in the, in the parable. The first one is the owner. You, you see the owner, he is the one that, that goes away on a journey and who will one day come back. The, the owner is the representative of Jesus in the parable. So you've got the owner, AKA God or Jesus. Then there are the talents. Now talents is obviously a monetary unit uh, kind of a currency uh, in the day and age that this was written. So, but talents could be broadly applied as uh, treasure, your money and possessions, the giftings and talents that the Lord has given you personally, uniquely wired you with, could also be applied in terms of time. It, it, I think when you're thinking of what a talent is, think of it in terms of everything the Lord would entrust to you and I. 
Everything the Lord has entrusted to you and I, that's, that's the talents. So there's an owner, there's talents, and then there are stewards. And a steward is someone entrusted with another's wealth or property and charged with the responsibility of managing that property to the owner's best interest. That's what a steward is. Someone entrusted with another's wealth or property and charged with the responsibility of managing that property, the owner's property, toward the owner's best interest. So those are the three players. Now, as the story goes, you just heard it read, and here's the the basic storyline that you just heard. You've got a man that's entrusted with five talents, a man entrusted with two talents, and a man entrusted with one talent. The five-talent man and the two-talent man Uh, both invest what has been entrusted to them. They go and they trade it. They do something with it. And what they do is multiply what had been entrusted to them. So the five talent man makes 10 talents and the two talent man makes four talents. And then Jesus, the owner, comes back and calls them to account. He looks at them and says, I want to know what it is that you have or haven't done. The five talent guy and the two talent guy come to Jesus and they say, man, here's your five, but it's not just five, it's 10. Here's your two, but it's not just two. I've made four, you know, there's four talents. I'm giving all of this back to you. Double what you gave me. And Jesus looks at them and says, well done, my good and faithful servant. The words we all wanna hear. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Right? That's the words we all want Jesus to say to us. That's the five talent and the two talent uh, man. Then you get to the one talent man. And he took the one talent entrusted to him. He went to his backyard, buried a hole, put the one talent in there, covered that hole, went about his life, just waiting for Jesus to come back. Once Jesus comes back and calls him to account, he goes to his backyard, digs up the one talent that he had buried there. He pulls it out and gives the one talent back to Jesus. But rather than Jesus looking at our one talent man and saying, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. Jesus says to the one talent man, you're condemned and you're going to hell. Now, if you just imagine yourself reading that parable for the first time, that is a shocking conclusion, isn't it? That is not the way I'm anticipating this story to end. I am not anticipating Jesus looking at the person who just buried what Jesus had given him, but gave him the exact same thing back. I'm just not expecting Jesus to say, this person is going into outer darkness where there's gonna be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That, That is not what I'm expecting there, but that's exactly what happened. So what is the insight that we're learning here? Here's the first insight that we see from this parable. We see that the life of faith is bound up in our stewardship to the point where Jesus feels no sort of inner tension in looking at someone and saying, if there's no stewardship in your life, there is no faith in your life. Now think about that. Jesus in this parable is just fine with saying, if there is no stewardship, if that's, if that's not working, if you're a person that's bearing what I've given you, know, given you If there's no stewardship, there is no faith in in that person. This is one insight that Jesus is showing us here. Um, We could state that in a positive way by saying it this way. Living by faith equals good stewardship. Jesus is just tying these two things directly together. If a person has faith, if they're living by faith, it is going to show itself in good stewardship. Now, what is good stewardship? It's using and leveraging and risking what God has entrusted to us for God's purposes. 
And he is saying, living by faith equals that, doing that. Now, let me be clear here. Jesus is not teaching salvation by stewardship. That is not what's going on here. But Jesus is showing us that stewardship always shows up in the life of a saved person. That the part of how our salvation plays itself out is with stewardship. So good stewardship and, and living by faith are bound up together. This is one insight that we learn here. Now that should make us pause and just ask the question, how are we stewarding what God has entrusted to us? The answer to that question is showing us deep and profound things about faith inside of us. Deep and profound things about if faith is in us, how faith is playing itself out in us. How are we stewarding what the Lord has entrusted to us? Living by faith equals good stewardship. Now, this is typically where the teaching in this parable stops. Most sermons stop right there and they camp on good stewardship. But this parable actually shows us one extra thing. There's one more insight here that I wanna point out to you. This parable takes us one step further and connects this dot for us. That living by faith, yes, it equals good stewardship. But there's one more thing it teases out. Good stewardship equals a willingness to risk for Jesus' sake. It equates all of these two things together. Living by faith equals good stewardship, equals a willingness to risk for Jesus' sake. All of those things are intimately and directly tied together. Now, let's just tease this out. Think about the one talent man. The parable is showing us that under his poor stewardship is an unwillingness to risk for Jesus' sake an unwillingness to take what God had given him and to risk it, to push it all in for Jesus and his purposes. Now, wait, now think about what this parable is showing us. Now, now think about what, what this one talent man did or didn't do in this parable. He didn't lose the money. He didn't spend it on himself. He didn't take what Jesus had entrusted to him and just kind of waste it on himself. He didn't give it to his master's competitors. He just set on what had been entrusted to him and just waited for the master to return. That, that's what he did. And this parable is showing us that his unwillingness to risk, his unwillingness to do something, to just do something for Jesus' sake, it's showing us that that unwillingness is saying something about his faith. It's exposing that he really didn't know Jesus to start with. His unwillingness to risk is showing he doesn't know Jesus. That should be really sobering for all of us in the room. Now, on the other hand, think about the five and two talent man. Um, both of them, on the other hand, their faith showed itself in a willingness to risk for Jesus' sake. In a willingness to put everything on the line for Jesus to do something with what God had given them. Now, listen to Ray Ortland tease out that second insight of the willingness to risk that's embedded into this story. He says it this way. He says, what's the insight here? He says, it's this. We think our job in this life is to not do certain things. Now, test yourself. Is that how you think about God and what it is that he would want from us? Remember, this is talking about what life with Jesus looks like. We think, he says, our job, this is how we often think in life, is to not do certain things. And as long as we're not doing those things and we just maintain, then we're okay. But look at this parable. This parable is showing the exact opposite of that. This parable is showing, just says, look at it. This servant is judged 
not for bad things done, but for daring things left undone. I'm going to read that one more time. Think about what this parable is showing us. The servant is judged not for bad things done, but for daring things left undone. He set on his opportunity and failed to do good things. Our job in this life is not to avoid doing things, but to actually do things. Our job in this life is not to preserve what, we, what he's given us, but to simply, uh, but to multiply what he's given us. Our job in this life is to do new and creative and smart and risky things to develop the master's enterprise further. The bad servant wastes his opportunity and he ends up in hell. I mean, I just think it is crucial that we all do some thinking about what this parable is showing us. I mean, just think about this one talent man again. He was condemned not for bad things that he did, but for good things that he left undone. I mean, just picture yourself before God one day. Just picture, that day's coming for all of us. Picture yourself there one day. On that day, the legitimacy of your faith and of my faith and of our faith, the legitimacy of our faith won't just be tested by the bad things we avoided, but by the risk we took to accomplish good for Jesus' sake. Now think about both ends of that. It's not just going to be based on, like when, when we're testing the legit, like did that person have faith or not? The answer to that question is not just seen and looking at their life and asking, did they avoid the bad things? The legitimacy of our faith is also seen and looking at our lives and saying, were they willing to risk to accomplish good for Jesus' sake? The legitimacy of our faith plays itself out in that way too. So think about the point of the parable. The parable shows us that faith reveals itself in a willingness to risk for Jesus' sake. That the parable is showing us that the fundamental disposition of a follower of Jesus is not toward safety, but toward risk. The parable is showing us that for the person who kind of draws a bullseye around a safe, comfortable life, in the end, that life turns out not to be so safe. The parable is showing us in the words of the book, we're gonna give you the title of that book, that risk really is right for a follower of Jesus. It really is right in your life and in my life. This is what the parable is showing us. So I'm gonna take just a few minutes now and just tease out a few things concerning risk, how it plays out, kind of some of the nuances with it. I wanna talk a little bit about risk defined. What, is, what does risk mean? Talk a little bit about risk and the life of faith. And then we're just gonna take a second to apply it. Risk in your life, in my life. So first, risk defined. What, what do we mean when we say risk? Uh, John Piper in the book, Risk is Right, which we're gonna give you today, he defines it like this. I think it's a good, solid, just baseline definition. He says it like this. Risk is any action that exposes you to the possibility of loss or injury. Any action that exposes you to the possibility of loss or injury. Now think about the Christian life for just a moment. Think about how every moment of obedience in the Christian life has risk embedded into it. I mean, we could just go down the, the list of things. Like if you're gonna share Jesus with someone, there's risk embedded into that. The, the possibility of loss or injury is accompanied with that in, in that moment. You might lose face. You might lose your reputation. Your reputation. 
If you wanna give generously, there's risk involved. If you wanna love anyone, if you wanna open your home to care for the orphan, if you're gonna confess sin in your life, all of those things have risk embedded into it. The possibility of loss or injury is just part of what it looks like to walk obediently with Jesus. Now, when you're thinking about this idea of of risk, I think it's important to drill down all the way to the heart of what makes risk, risk, and why it is that we're called to risk in our life. When you think about the heart of risk, part of what it means to say that God has called us to to be risk takers is to just admit that we don't know what the future holds. See, part of why it is that we have to risk is because we're, we're ignorant people when it's all said and done. We don't know what tomorrow holds. Like the reason loving your neighbor is a risky thing is because you don't know if he's gonna be a Judas who stabs you in the back, a Peter who denies you a few times, or a Jonathan who's a faithful friend to David. You don't know what, you don't know what it's gonna be. This is why loving your neighbor is a risky thing. It is exposing you to the possibility of loss or injury. It's risky because you don't know how that's going to turn out. And in the same way, it's just risk is embedded into our life because we don't know what tomorrow holds for us. Now think about this in terms of God and how he has wired the world. On on one hand, it is impossible for God to ever risk because God knows what tomorrow holds, right? He knows the end from the beginning. He knows what's gonna happen a day from now, a year from now, and a billion years from now. So it's impossible for God to risk. On the other hand, God has created a world and put you and I into it where we don't know what tomorrow holds. You have no, I have no idea what tomorrow is gonna hold. Therefore, now think about this. God has wired the world and your life to work through risk. You, you can't operate with God without being willing to embrace risk because you don't know what tomorrow is gonna hold because we're ignorant people in that way. Now, let me tease one extra thing out here. And this is just a good point of clarification to think about here. There is a difference in the Bible between wise risk and foolish risk. Just to kind of set that up, if you think about the book of Acts, there's a moment where Paul will charge into an angry mob who wants to murder him. There's a, he just, he'll do it without thinking twice about it. And there's another moment in Acts where he is being lowered out of the wall of a city because an angry mob wants to kill him. So there's, there's obviously in the Bible categories for like, you should risk here, but you shouldn't risk there. So it is right to say that risk is right, but it's also right to say not every risk is right. So how do you know the difference in that? We could talk for a long time about that. Let me just give you two ideas to kind of just get you thinking down the, the road of like, what is a wise versus a foolish risk? Here's two, two things just to help frame what is wise and foolish. First, I think it's just worth noting, we are not saying you should risk for the sake of risk. That's not what, we're, that's not what I'm trying to say. I, I think the Bible, and I'm trying to say, we should risk not for the sake of risk, but for the sake of Jesus. So it's not risk for risk's sake, it's risk for Jesus' sake. Now behind that, the second thing is there's kind of a principle of proportionality to go along with that. So you can think of it this way. The greater the glory and honor and exaltation of Jesus that's at stake, the more we should be willing to risk for that. And the lower the glory and the honor and exaltation to Jesus, the less we would risk. But in saying both of those things, I just wanna make this, this point crystal clear. Our risk is in reference to Jesus. We're not out for just a thrill-seeking life. We're out for a God-glorifying life. And the more glory we can give to God, the more we ought to be able to risk for that and push our chips in for that. So that's risk defined. 
Now, I wanna just spend a couple of minutes on risk and the life of faith. And I wish I had some more time here, but I'm gonna have to do this in a, in a condensed little version of this, but risk and the life of faith. So let me just ask a series of questions and try to answer them. Question number one, what is the purpose of your life? Knowing the purpose of your life is really important. If you get this wrong, a lot of our life goes wrong. The Bible is really clear that the purpose of our life is to glorify God. Like the reason you're breathing right now is so that, that, that you would give honor and glory and exaltation to Jesus. Okay, that's the purpose of our lives. Now comes the question of how do we glorify God? How do, we, how do we live in a way that glorifies Jesus? How do we do that? There's a lot you could say about that and nuance and how you could you know, answer the question. But at the heart of that answer, you just can't get around this. Lives of faith, that, that, that is what glorifies God. Living by faith glorifies Jesus. That's the heart of the answer. If, if our purpose is to glorify Jesus, how do we do that? The answer is we live by faith. Romans 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 20 clarifies this. Talking about Abraham, Paul says that he grew strong in his faith as he glorified God. G glory, the glory of God and, and you living by faith are tied directly together. Now, why is that? It's because when you're living lives of faith, here's what you're doing. You're, you're saying, I'm willing to push my life all in toward Jesus, where if he doesn't come through, man, I'm doomed. I, it, it all stands and falls on Jesus. And when we do that, when, when we throw our life at Jesus, we are showing the world and telling the world, God is that dependable. He is that trustworthy. He is that good. You should do that too, because he's so good. See, when we're living by faith, we're showing the world the goodness of our God. We're bringing glory to God. This is why the Christian life starts with faith and continues by faith. Every moment of the Christian life is by faith. The reason is because every moment of faith is glorifying God. So, so the glory of God is, is had through men and women living by faith in God. Now comes the third question. How does God cultivate faith in your life and my life? If we glorify God by living by faith, how does God cultivate faith in you and me? And I think that the, the heart of that answer is this. God cultivates our faith through risk. God cultivates faith in your life by risk. He cultivates faith in my life by risk. By getting us to the edge of a cliff and saying, hey, I want you to jump at me. I, I want you to push your chips in, even though you can't see how it all works out. I want you to push your chips in and depend on me and trust me. He cultivates faith by pulling us into risk. So when you're thinking about faith, I think it's even helpful to think about defining faith in light of risk. Here's one way you could do that. You could think about faith this way. Faith is the willingness to risk anything on God. Faith in your life and in my life is the willingness to risk anything in our life on God. It's what faith is. This is what it looks like. One pastor of a generation ago, he used to say it this way. Faith is spelled R-I-S-K. That's how you spell it. Because that's what faith in action feels like. It's God requiring risk out of us. It's God looking at us and saying, I want you to jump when you can't figure everything out yet. Lives of faith underneath that are lives, are people willing to embrace risk. Risk and the obedient Christian life that brings honor and glory to Jesus. It requires risk to do those things. So this is risk in the life of faith. Now you could think about this all throughout the Bible. Although the word risk is not in the Bible, you see it displayed throughout the Bible. 
God cultivating faith in the life of his sons and daughters by calling them and moving them into risk. Think about David in the moment where he walks up on the Israelite army. The Philistines and Goliath are are camped opposite of them and Goliath is taunting God and the people of Israel. Now, now, Saul in that moment is paralyzed by fear. The people of, you know, the, the army of Israel, paralyzed by fear. They can't do anything. They're just stuck in that moment. David comes in that moment. He goes to a, a, a brook, picks up five smooth stones, and he runs to meet a giant, and he's a teenager. That's risk, right? Think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Do you remember the story where King Nebuchadnezzar had set up a big golden statue? Everybody's going to bow down to it, or you're going to face the fiery furnace? What happened to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Daniel 3, verses 17 and 18 show us. They look back at the most powerful person on the planet at the time, and they say, no, we're not gonna do that. And they go on in verse 17. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Verse 18, but if he doesn't, but but if not, Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. But if not, that is God pulling them into risk to cultivate faith in their life. The same thing is true of Esther. If you remember that story, do you remember the final moment where she is, it's on the line with Esther. She can go to the king at the risk of her life in an effort to save the Jewish people, or she can play it safe. And you remember what she says? Pray fast, I'm gonna go do it. And if I perish, I perish. That is risk. That's God cultivating faith through risk. And we could just go on and on in stories. But let's make sure we make this point. Not every risk turns out well. Not every risk goes well temporally. This is why there's risk. This is why you're exposing yourself to the possibility of loss or injury. So think about John the Baptist. Do you remember what happened when he took a risk for Jesus? He spoke the truth to Herod, kind of the ruler of the area, and his head was severed because he did that. Do you remember uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith, you've got all these stories of people risking for Jesus' sake, big time steps of faith, and it's going great for them temporally. Then you get to the end of the chapter and it goes like this. For others, they suffered mocking and floggings and even chains and imprisonment. They were uh, stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. It didn't go so well for them temporally. Now, what do we to draw from that? Let, let me summarize it this way. What makes risk right is not that every risk turns out well. What makes risk right is that risk reflects the worth of God. It glorifies God. It's, it's the way that faith is cultivated and glory to God is had. That's what makes risk so right. If it goes great for you temporally or it doesn't, it's a way for us to say to the world, our God is worth that. He should be worth that for you. Jesus really is worth that. Even when I lose, even when my head's severed, he's worth that. So let's just take a moment to apply this now. Risk in your life. Risk in your life. So let's just think big picture again. What is God doing in our life? He is cultivating faith in your life and in my life. How is God doing that? He does that by drawing us into risk. But here's what I know about every human heart, my heart, your heart, our heart collectively. Is our flesh, that part of us that's still at war with God, that's still in us, our flesh hates 
walking by faith. Our flesh hates to take risk for God. It doesn't want to do that. It doesn't like doing that, right? We all have that voice in us, that play it safe voice in us that doesn't wanna do that. Now, here's what happens. Tease that out, that, that, that play it safe voice in us. Here's what it produces. At some point along the way, virtually every Christian, way too many Christians, most of us in the room, because of that fleshly voice that doesn't like to, to walk by faith, doesn't like risk, somewhere along the way, it causes us to adopt a posture in life that says something like this. The main purpose of my life is to arrive safely at death. I, think, I mean, think about that. That's how most people live, right? If I can just get to the end of my life and have a little bit of money left over, have a little bit of like health, have a little bit of stuff, then, I, then, then I've made it. Life is okay. And God, on the other hand, is saying no to that. The purpose of your life is not to arrive safely at death. The purpose of your life is to glorify God. And the way we do that is by faith being cultivated in our life. And that is cultivated through a life willing to embrace risk. That's why you exist. That's why God is like, you're breathing this morning for those ends, not so you can arrive safely at death. Now that makes me look at Matthew 25 with a really sobering lens because I can relate to the one talent man. I can relate to the guy who is saying, man, I've got every reason why we should be cautious and not throw caution to the wind and risk it all for Jesus. But I feel that in me. That voice is alive in me. That script goes in me way too often. I mean, I look at the fear that he's living in. Man, I mean, think about this guy. He didn't give the money away. He didn't even blow it on himself. He was just fearful enough that he went and buried it in the backyard. The gospel just was not transforming him. He, he adopted the mindset of, if I could just make it to the end and have a few things left, then I'm okay. And this parable is showing us no to that. That's not what God wants for your life or my life. This is not what God has for us. God wants us to embrace risk. When you think, the reason when I look at the one talent man, I'm just sobered, is because when I think about, you know, all of our lives in this room, there's many things that block us from being all that God would have us be. We could talk about many different things, but I am convinced one of the main things is exactly what happened to our one talent man. Somewhere along, we just get fearful. We just get stuck in our fear. Just, we just can't push it all in and go for it. That, that play it safe voice, that voice that's saying, man, you can like Jesus, even love Jesus. Just don't get yourself over your head with Jesus. Whatever you do, don't put yourself in a position where he actually has to come through for you. Whatever you do, don't do that. That play it safe voice is in us all, right? I mean, it's so deeply embedded in all of us. And on the other side of that voice, there's Jesus inviting us into risk calling us into risk. I mean, can I just say this again to all of us? God wants you and me to risk. God really does want that in your life and in my life to take risk. I mean, when you think about the biblical narrative, it is so clear when you just kind of think about all the stories in it, significant things don't just happen for Jesus' sake. They happen when men and women are willing to risk for Jesus' sake. Nothing of significance for Jesus is going to be accomplished in your life without risk. Just not going to happen. 
Now, here's, there's great news embedded into that. Here's the great news for all of us in the room. Do you know for God to use you for significant things, you don't have to be an amazing person. You don't have to be like an off-the-chart gifted person for God to use you for off-the-chart stuff. But here's what you do have to be. You just have to be a person willing to risk. And can I just say, as one of your pastors, I want God to accomplish great things in your life. I want God to do great things in my life. I want him to do great things in our life collectively as a church family. But that will not happen apart from our willingness to risk for Jesus' sake. So look at your life right now. Where is God calling you to risk? Where is God asking you to risk, to put it on the line for him? To get over your head with him? To, to, to get into water that like you're over your head to the point where if God doesn't come through, oh no, what's gonna happen? Where in your life is God asking that and, and pushing you and calling you to, toward that? Maybe it's new ventures in evangelism and, and sharing Jesus with coworkers and neighbors and friends. Maybe that's in forgiving someone. Maybe that's where the Lord is leaning on you. Maybe it's in new steps of generosity. That's gonna be one area that we all get to think about over the next few weeks. Maybe it's in new steps of generosity. Maybe it's pursuing orphan care. Maybe it's confessing sin. Maybe there, there are some of us who came in this morning, we have been hiding sin that literally has us by the throat for way too long. And maybe that risky step is us confessing those things and bringing those to the light. Maybe God is calling us into the risky step to reorder our marriage around Jesus, to take new steps in our marriage. And maybe for, for you, if you're single, it's, it's courageously waiting for the Lord to bring the right person into your life. Maybe it's opening up a room in your home for those who need it. I mean, the options are really just unlimited, aren't they? But the question is, what new venture, what new risk is God looking at you and saying, I want you to step out and take this with me. I want you to jump in all in. I want you to come with me on this. Where's God doing that in you? Hudson Taylor was a missionary to China and his life was just one risk after another. His biography is just unbelievable. But he has one statement that he said that has just always stuck with me. And here's the statement. He said, unless there is an element of risk in our exploits for God, there is no need for faith. Unless there is an element of risk in our exploits for God, there is no need for faith. Where in your life is there a need for faith? Where is there risk in your life? And like you're thinking about Jesus and you're like, I want this ground taken for Jesus. But I wanna see Jesus do these things and it's risky. It's calling you out of like your safety, comfort little area. And Jesus is saying, no, it's, it's gonna require risk to see that happen. Where is God doing that in you? Where is that? One of the ways that I've just begun to evaluate my life in light of this is just to ask the question, where is risk in my life? Like, where do I look at right now in my life? And I'm like, that feels so scary to do that. And am I willing to step into that? See, it, if you look at your life right now and there are no risky ventures for Jesus, do you know what that means? That faith, you're not living by faith right now. That's what it means for us when we answer it that way. But if you're looking at your life and you've got risky ventures for Jesus that you're right in the middle of, do you know what that's saying to you this morning? 
It's saying that there is a, a willingness to live by faith and to risk for Jesus. And, and if we're answering that in a no today, there, there just are no risks for Jesus' sake. Man, just, can we all just kind of put our hands open for the Lord this morning and to say, Jesus, would you show me what you would want to put in front of me? What new venture, what risk that you would want me to take for your sake? God, will you show me that? Because here's the thing, and I'm just gonna end with this. In the end, there really are only two options. There is no middle ground. There is no third option. It's either we're going to waste our life or we're going to risk for Jesus' sake. Those are the only two options you have or I have. It's risk or waste. I love how Jack Miller, I said it in the video earlier. I love how he said it. A pastor of a generation ago, he looks at people and he would just say it like this. It's either risk or rust. And by God's grace, can we be people who risk? I mean, think about the end of your life one day. Don't we wanna be people who have said, I have taken everything God has entrusted to me. I have risked, I have leveraged it for Jesus' sake. And here, God, here it is multiplied for your name's sake. Don't we want that to be our story as a church? Let's pray together. So where would that start for you and I today? I think it starts before the Lord with a willingness this morning to open yourself up and to say, God, will you show me? God, I'm open to you. Anything you want, when you want it, how you want it, I'm open. Jonathan Edwards modeled this so, so well. He's probably America's greatest theologian, one of the people that God used to bring about the first great awakening, a revival in America. But those significant things don't happen apart from defining moments where we are willing to embrace risk for Jesus' sake. And that was true for Jonathan Edwards. Here was the defining moment that led to all that God ended up accomplishing in his life. He was 20 years old. It was January 12th, 1723. He got alone with the Lord, then cracked open his journal, and he wrote out these words. I have been before God and I have given myself all that I am and all that I have, I've given it all to God. So that as I'm sitting here right now, I am not in any respect my own. I have given myself clear away and not retained anything as my own. I have this morning told God that I did take him as my sole happiness in this life. That's our first step. As a church family, it's us holding up our lives to God. It's us holding up our souls to God and saying, God, we're a blank and you can write on our lives whatever you want. So, oh God, would you take us there this morning? God, would you do that in us this morning? God, through the power of your spirit, 
God, would you free us from the fear that just has us in shackles? God, would you convince us that we are so loved and cared for in you that any risk for Jesus' sake is worth it? Oh God, would you help us? It's in your good name that we ask that. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church, located in Midlothian, Texas. For service times, additional audio and study resources, as well as information about our church, please visit us at stonegate-church.com.